This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We just want to take this opportunity to thank all of our listeners. We're really excited about this. Now, we have listeners in the United States, but also where else, Mike? Let's see, Canada, Ireland, Iceland, New Zealand, Vietnam, who's counting? That's awesome. That's awesome. So please, please keep listening and please tell your friends about the show and please tweet to us at 15 Minute Film. That's at 15MinFilm on Twitter. And also, if you noticed on the episode descriptions, there's a link where you could leave us a voicemail. So please let us know through Twitter or through the link, any movie you want us to do. If you tell us a movie suggestion, we will do it. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks. Hi, welcome back. This week, we're going to be looking at 1954's On the Waterfront. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So one thing we like to do in the beginning is talk about what uh, first impressed us about watching the movie again. And Mike, I think it's funny that, again, like other movies, we've never sat down and had a conversation about On the Waterfront. Right. So let's start by talking about what you found, uh, what your big takeaway or first impression was watching it again. Sure. So watching it again, I was really struck by the drama and I know that uh, Ellie Kazan, who directed the movie, directed for the stage. Of course, Marlon Brando uh, had a, his great start on the stage. And I was really impressed by the number of set pieces, literally uh, in the movie, that really could have been taken directly from the stage and how brilliant and wonderful uh, Brando's performances were. We'll get to one of those performances uh, specifically uh, in the scenes. But it struck me that there's really only a few locations and each location is made the most of the same way that you would do so on the set. You know, when they're when they're in the bar, it's completely immersive that they're in the bar. When they're in the park, it's you know they're in the park, but there's that one swing set or whatever, and you can really see that that it was almost written for the for the stage. And that's the first impression that that I really got from watching the movie again. That's great because it's written. Yeah, that, I never thought of that. It's written. It seems like it was written for the stage. You can imagine a Broadway theater with with a one swing set on to suggest the playground. Exactly, and the same thing for the dock. You know, yeah. they, they make they really make the most of the dock. I imagine that if they were going to stage it, that you'd have the dock and that you'd have Brando coming from the back, or you know, right. some kitschy right. theater thing. But uh, that it really really struck me, um, and I think that there's a theatricality about the set pieces that gets the most of, out of these actors' performances. But it's funny because it's it's it seems like it could have been written for the stage, but it's never stagey. In, no. a, in a way that I think A Secret Name Desire is sometimes very stagey. Agree. And, and this is not like that at all because Brando was such a great film actor that he knew what the camera was going to do and he, and he was very, very you know uh, conscious of that. So that's kind of interesting. My thing was that um, how much watching it again, it reminded me of watching Casablanca. It, how so? Well, you know, uh, this is 54. Casablanca was 42. But um, at one point when Terry's railing about his conscience uh, and things, it, he just struck me as being like Rick, right? You have, you have a really charismatic hero, right? Uh, prides himself on not getting involved in the outer world. Like Rick says, I stick my neck out for nobody, right? Um, you know, uh, even Marie Saint says, whose side are you on? He's like, I'm with me. I'm with me. I won't do it. <clears throat> me, I'm with me. I'm with Terry, right? And he says things like he calls her a fruitcake, which he says we're all connected. Um, and it's interesting that in both movies, you know, the woman is the catalyst. Yes. 
Although I, I will point out a key difference from Casablanca, which is there's no real consequences in Casablanca. He he flips. He does give up his love. We're we're meant to see that as no as consequence. Kind of spiritual He's never going to see her again. I I under listen. I no consequence. But, Okay, in this in this movie, the climax of this movie is whether or not he can stand up to walk, and then right. I, I feel like that's a little different. You know, when Brando's saying, you know, you, it's nothing but trouble, you know, to to come out on the side of good. He's he's got a point. Well, it's would you rather get the get the snot kicked out of you and then have that be over with, or would you rather spend the rest of your life knowing that the woman you love is married to somebody else who's not a bad guy, by the way, who's a very admirable person, but that you had to get her on that plane? All right, listen. I, I'm with, I'm with you. I'm just saying that there's when when he says there's nothing but trouble. He's I, I feel like a a cheesier movie would be set up yes. for him to you know win at the end and all the dock workers are lifting him up. But yeah. you know he he limps away at the at the end of that movie. So when he says you know you, you just yeah. asking for trouble, he was actually asking for trouble. And he gets it. And he gets it. And he gets it right. The other thing is that um, both both heroes, both Rick and Terry have something from their past that's been gnawing at them for years. So mm-hmm. for Rick, obviously, it's that he was abandoned in the rain, you mm-hmm. know, sitting there with his, with his guts kicked out. But for Terry, it's the Wilson fight. And, and everyone remembers the taxi scene, which we will not use for our, our – that'll be our little bond <laughs> not to use it for the scene because everybody knows the taxi scene. But certainly, um, I forgot about the scene earlier where he's talking to the guy about the Wilson fight and what he did. And when Brandon gets all into it, he's like, no, I, the guy's like, I saw you fight in the garden. And right. he recreates the fight. Everybody remembers the taxi scene, but people forget that scene. And you could see how long that's been gnawing at Terry that he could have taken Wilson apart. Well, my, my other favorite part is when the guy in the bar tries to ask him if he saw the fight last night. And he goes, no. Nah. He goes, what's going on with two hands just like you used to? I just, All right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Everybody remembers the taxi, but you forget that he's been, it's been his whole life. So it's kind of funny that um, each hero kind of has to get um, shaken out of his 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 um, position that I'm not involved. I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. And so I agree with you there. And I, I think also what happens to Joey is really what, what shakes him out as well. Yes. Like Edie's brother yeah. and the, the guilt that he bears for that. So that, right. that's a great part too. I just thought they were going to lean on him. Yeah. I just thought they were going to lean on him. I know we're going to throw him off the roof. Right. And that of course starts the whole thing. Like, right. you know, you know, like, like, um, like her walking into the gin joint in Casablanca does. All right. All right. That's our first segment. We'll see you soon. All right. We're going to pause here because we just want to tell you something. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So let me explain. The first point is it's free. Yeah. Second, they have all the tools that you need to create, record, and edit your podcast right on your phone or your laptop. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other places. You pick up sponsorships, you can make money from your podcast, and there's no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Always be closing, Mike. Always be closing. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, welcome back. So in the second segment, we like to talk about a key scene or a revealing moment. Dan, I know that you want to start this one out. Yeah, we were actually, we made a no taxi vow because everybody knows the taxi scene is the greatest scene in the movie. One of the greatest scenes in movie history. And maybe there's something cool I just read about that. We could bring it up later, but we wanted to do it. We did a no taxi vow. We don't know what the other scenes are, but I'll start with mine. You want to start with mine? Sure. So mine was that... The thing that impressed me um, most and the scene that really grabbed me this time was when he breaks down the door to kiss Eva Marie Saint. Um, first of all, that's the most realistic door breaking down in movie history because you know movies have taught us you just give one good kick through a deadbolt and it comes down. But he's leaning on the door and it won't open and then he kind of breaks the frame. That's really good. And I think it's great that she says to him um, – uh, she says, well, you, have to, uh, I'm not, you have to do what your conscience says. He said, conscience, conscience, that's all I've been hearing. That's all I've been hearing. And she goes, I never said that which is true. She hasn't said the word conscience, 
but he keeps hearing it from everybody. And I think that's very, very real. She's like, I didn't say contents at all, but it's all he's been thinking about. And that um, the great moment is that when he kisses her, it's off camera. So you don't really see it at first. Mm-hmm. You want to see it. And then he lets you see what's going on. But it strikes me as so realistic in terms of, of movie kisses that it actually makes perfect sense why that would happen. And so often we see movies – um, two characters will start to kiss because it's it's an hour and ten minutes into the movie and they're supposed to. But this makes perfect sense that he would. And then he has that moment with her and, and it calms down. And the next thing you hear is, you know, hey, Terry, your brother's down here. He wants to see you. And then he gets into the taxi. And it's such a great, great reminder that it doesn't matter. He could be there kissing even Marie Saint in her nightgown, that his brother, that problem has not gone away. And it's not going to go away until he does something about it. You just – so you just – made me realize something that is kind of contrary to a point we just made about how dramatic the movie is in terms of actual drama on the stage, which is that is a moment where Kazan actually shows you him driving the camera a little bit, yeah, as opposed to something that you would see on stage, though, though that is a great moment. My moment is also uh, Terry and Edie, but it's the scene where he's walking her home uh, and she drops the glove and he picks it up. And I think it's great for a, a couple of reasons. First, it's just one of the most charming Right. Love, love yeah. scenes, you know, uh, really in, in film that I can think of. And second, I found something really revealing and kind of weird about the language that he uses when he's teasing her about how uh-huh. she used to look. And he's, he says you had your hair like a braided rope. And you had the wires, the wires on your teeth. But he's, he's literally boxed in. It kind of sounds like a description of the ring to me. And, I, it's you know, as you said, it's she's really the catalyst. And right. I think that she stands in not only for some kind of romantic release, but also the problem. Uh-huh. That's boxing him in. Yeah. So that I'm struck by the language. I'm also struck as is everybody by the naturalism of the scene where he picks up the glove and starts to play with it. You know, it strikes me that probably my favorite male film actor of the, of kind of the classic Hollywood period is Jimmy Stewart. Mm-hmm. And everybody writes for Jimmy Stewart. They write his idiosyncrasies into every single character right. that he plays. Right. And he only has kind of one mode. And in, in different movies that he's in, it revolves around that mode or it plays with that mode, but you don't expect him to change. And I was just struck by how beautifully Brando becomes Terry. You know, you, yeah. when you're watching Jimmy Stewart play, he can deliver the lines right. He can act beautifully, but you're beautifully. You always know that he's, that he's Jimmy Stewart. Like Cary Grant. Exactly. Like, like Cary Grant. But there's something about Brando where even though you're aware that it's, that it's Brando, what makes him so great is he's, vanishes you know yeah. you think you have your eye on him right. but he disappears and becomes terry and that's you know when he's teasing her and he asks her you know where's that and she says terry town he goes where's that in the, in the country and she says yeah and he says i never liked the country much the crickets make me nervous <laughs> such a great line yeah <laughs> and it's like and what do you make of him fishing with the glove is that supposed to be you think that's supposed to be terry being nervous or just not, doesn't know what to do with his hands or i I don't know. I, I just remember he, he puts on a different kind of glove, right? Yeah. It comes back to the boxing. Right. He puts on her glove. Metaphor that he puts on yeah. her glove. Um, yeah. And then he's describing her. His right. physical description of her reminds right. me of someone talking about the ropes of the. I thought it was her. a great, it was, it was such a great performance there because, you know, if you're, he was 30 years old when he made Wonderful. He was mid 29. He was pushing 30, like his brother says in the taxi, right? So, um, if you look like Marlon Brando, and as we know from reading uh, uh, reading biographies of him, um, one thing he was not was nervous around women. <laughs> he didn't have to be <laughs> because he looked like Stanley Kowalski. So that scene where he puts the glove on and he starts teasing her about what she used to look like, that stuck me as so real because that is what an insecure guy would do in the presence of a beautiful woman. Yeah, but and, and I think that the thing that I like about that scene though is, is he reveals that 
by teasing her, he's also revealing like, I used to have my eye on you. And even when you look yeah. like that, I, I still remember. And he says, well, did you remember me? And she said, oh, well, I remember you from the first time that I saw you. Yeah. It's a beautiful yeah. moment. Yeah. And it, is, and it makes perfect um, emotional sense too. All right. Okay. That was our second segment. We'll see you soon. So in the third segment, we like to talk about the big takeaways or the ending or the title. Dan, you got that look in your eye like you're itching to say something. I did. Well, first, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if you knew this. The title was originally just Waterfront. I did not. Yeah, when the film was when Bud Schulberg wrote it, it was called Waterfront. Um, I just recently finished um, this new biography about Brando by William Mann, and it's pretty good. It's called The Contender. Mm-hmm. Right? He hit upon the title perfectly, right? So it's. I, I just want to, you know, I have two minor heresies about On the Waterfront, I just want to reveal here, and I hope this doesn't make us lose listeners from our international community, but just two small little things. You know, one is that, um, so the taxi scene's great. Let's start with that. I just want to read you something really, that I just thought was cool about the taxi scene, was that, you know, as you know, Brando never memorized lines. He thought Mm -hmm. it was a waste of time, and he started wearing earpieces because he said you should should do things that the character would do in that moment, right? Um, In the speech, as written in the script, Terry's supposed to say this. He's supposed to say, quote, I could have been a contender. I could have had class and been somebody, real class, instead of a bum, let's face it, which is what I am. Mm-hmm. But then when Brando does it, he does, I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's, let's face, face it. it. Right. Let's face it. And it says, William Mann says, the cadence is more poetic and more real. And I think he's right on that. So I think that's kind of, that's a cool window into how Brando worked. Mm-hmm. But the setup for the taxi scene I, again, I feel like it's such a jerk saying this is ludicrous. Johnny Friendly would not send Charlie to take Terry to straighten him out on the way to River Street. Because in the previous scene, Charlie is telling Johnny Friendly, he's just a confused kid. You got to give him a break. He's a confused kid. Remember? Like, and yeah. AJ Cobb starts yelling. So they already know that Charlie has a soft spot for Terry, that they can't trust him. So they wouldn't give him the job. Of going to he, he they let him talk to him, but they wouldn't say okay. And if he doesn't make amends with you by the time you get to River Street, it doesn't make any sense. Johnny Friendly says take him to River Street. It's a place we've been using. They would not give that job to him. And also, William Mann writes about this as well. Um, it's ludicrous that Charlie would pull the gun out, and that's why when Brando goes what 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 what, Brando knew that too, and and that's why Brando's idea was he kind of like moves the gun down with mm-hmm. his hand, and then he starts giving the speech. But the idea that Charlie, this enforcer for the mob, would pull out a gun on his own brother, like was he going to kill him in the taxi? Like, there's, it, it, I think it's a power of the scene is that the scene is so good that in spite of those things that you don't notice the first 30 times you see the movie. But Johnny Friendly would not send Charlie to, to straight up. I don't know. I'm, I'm with you, but I don't think that there's – I think that they send him because there's no other way to get him down. You know, if it's like – Hey, Joe Schmo's down here looking for you. You're not coming. Right. The, the, Charlie is the lure, and then they actually use him as a lure yeah. later when they've, you know, right. when they hang it, when they hang him up in, in the alley. Yeah. But but Johnny, but they wouldn't send him out. They would say, "Go talk to him and let us know what happens" or something. But he already has a soft spot for him. All right, I, all right. That's my thing. You, okay, yeah. my I, thing. I do like when he moves the gun down. Though. Yeah, that is great. And then and then I love when Brando goes, "Wow," he says, yeah. "Wow," which which you know. People think sarcastic ninth graders invented last year going, wow. But that, it's it's in there long before you. Okay, so that's my first. My second minor heresy is I think that when they throw Johnny Friendly in the water, it's like a bad thing from Gilligan's Island. I think throwing him in the water at the end is like, wah, 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 wah. It's like the Bad News Bears or something. I, that part makes me cringe. What do you take on What that? would you have preferred them to do? You don't think – Beat it, him up. You, the, he does, though. 
I mean, he, he, he hurts Terry, but he, it's, he doesn't come out like straightening his tie or whatever. Well, like he's dried off though. You when know, he gets out, that's a great like, continuity error. You know, he's like, dried off. like a bad, you know, like a bad movie villain. He's got yeah. bruises all over his face, but he fights him in. He does, but I just think him throwing in the water is is too clownish yeah. for it. Like it's it just for for how good the whole movie is, and then Terry's you know walk from Calvary when he's the yeah, yeah. When he's the rector, resurrected Christ and he gets back in line. That part's really moving. But every time they throw him in the water, I'm like, oh god. Well, I, I never bought that. He's the resurrected Christ who set another guy up. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that, does, that doesn't quite fit. I, I'm okay. I'm okay with the use of space. Okay, all right. I'll, you know, it's a, it's a dock. There's water there. What are you gonna do? Fair enough. Fair enough. I do like that scene. There's um, there's just the one guy that after after Terry uh, after Terry gives him his whole spiel and uh-huh. says, you know, you're nothing but a whatever. There is that one guy who says, all my life <laughs> I've been taking stuff from you, you know, or, what, or whatever the line is that I uh-huh. I like, but I also think is cheesy. You know, in William Mann's biography, he talks about how Kazan was making a statement through the movie about his testifying before the House on the Un-American Activities Committee. And that Kazan kind of thought he was like Terry. Really? Yeah. When he when Kazan named names that for years everyone was angry about him mm-hmm. about, that, he, that, that Kazan was making on the waterfront to show how hard it was to go against the system. I wonder if Brando knew about that. Yeah. Well, Brando, Brando, he said Brando said Kazan was the greatest director he ever worked with. And the only one that really, really pushed him. And, things like and that. I, think, I think the stage him. connection, though, yeah. is, it's, is probably what did. Yeah. I think that he directed him. Yes. Probably more like a stage director, which I think, as you said, he's a great film actor. We've said before on the show that great actors kind of know right. what they're going to look like on screen or they have a sixth sense about yeah. being in front of the camera. Uh, so I'm not taking anything away from Brando there, but I think that his his start and his great work was on the stage. So it makes sense to me that he would connect with Kazan that way. All right. As I say at the end, let's go to work. Yep. Let's go to work. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.